Well, open your Bible while I get mine. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2. Be in verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. I think First Peter uh, proves timely in, uh, and even what uh, Volodymyr just shared, because he speaks to a church that just lives in suffering. It's just a reality, um, and and yet there's hope. Uh, to be seen and to be found beyond it, and we're urged to keep our eyes on that and to live accordingly. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he continues So listen to the word of the Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you as always for your word. Um, it has been spoken over us already today. It has already impacted and penetrated us already today. And we open our ears and our Bibles with the expectation that you have something to say to us fresh and living and powerful today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. Move me out of the way, Lord. Use my voice as your instrument today. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. I'm going to try to open this without spilling it on me. Pardon me. Well, I've uh, attempted to plan this to be um, a, a little bit shorter, knowing that uh, we had a lot going on, inclu including communion. Uh, this is... Uh, as really everything with First Peter, it's really quite loaded, and um, you, could, you could read the first verse. You could go home today and spend time meditating on the first verse, and you wouldn't be finished meditating on it by the end of the day. This would, the, the, this would be good uh, takeaway for you uh, sometime later, but we just kind of want to um, consider the the imperatives that follow from what Peter opened up with in, in telling us to keep our eyes set upon um, our eternal hope to uh, be holy for God is holy. And then last week he said uh, to love one another with a sincere, earnest, brotherly love from a pure heart. And today, again, more uh, that gets very, very practical and yet not very, very easy. But imagine receiving uh, a, a notice in the mail from your homeowners association. 
This is totally fictional, by the way. If it bears any likeness to real circumstances, that's on you. Uh, imagine receiving a, a notice in the mail from your homeowners association. It's gone out to everybody in the neighborhood, reminding you and everyone that boats may not be parked in the yard. And any homeowners in violation uh, of this particular rule need to remedy the situation within 30 days. As it turns out, you have a sailboat parked in the yard. And it won't fit in the garage. <clears throat> but you think, well, it's, it's, not, it's not really a boat boat. You know, it's a sailboat. It doesn't even have a motor on it. And, and, and I would put it in the garage. It's small enough, but, you know, got the mast laying down or whatever. And it's not going to fit in the garage. And, uh, you know, I live at the end of the street. Really, the truth is, it, nobody can really even see it. And, uh, by the way, it's my yard, and I'll do what I want to. And... Um, now, the, the reality is you chose to move into the neighborhood with the Homeowners Association, right? And you were provided a copy of the homeowners' uh, regulations before you moved in. And even though you didn't read them, uh, or at least not in their entirety, you, you signed a statement that said uh, you agree to abide by all of the rules, right? You know the way that it goes. Uh, nevertheless, you lay aside the notice and just ignore it. Well, you know, the short ending to that is the rule is not going to change because you ignore it. Um, the notice isn't going to be rendered void or whatever, invalid because you ignored it. And uh, the Homeowners Association isn't going to ignore it either. And it's probably not going to end well for you. Now, you could, like I said, that's a fictional uh, circumstance, but there are real stories like, like that in the news all the time, and some of them are just really much more dramatic. Usually they are if they make the news. My point in beginning that way is to say sometimes Christians are that way, even unwittingly, when it comes to obedience to the Word of God. We willingly became a part of the community of Jesus. Uh, we received a copy of the book. And even though we hadn't read it all, maybe, or didn't, you know, right, to start with, even though we hadn't read it, we agreed quite willingly, right, joyfully to obey all things Jesus had commanded. That's the Great Commission, right? Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you, baptizing them but I, I, as well. But I'm saying the, the teaching them to obey, that was part of it. We, we, we knew that. We, we agreed to that. Yet sometimes when we're confronted with a clear command, not an easy one, but a clear one, uh, we set it aside and ignore it. And, and even justify it. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't mean what it sounds like it means, or I have good justification for not totally complying with it. I mean, nobody's perfect, or, or if you knew this guy the way I know him, you'd feel the same way I do, and uh, you know, whatever, we justify it. Um, but ignoring it, ignoring the clear command of God is not going to make the command of God go away. He's not changing his mind, and he's not confused about it. I, 
I, again, I thought it uh, perhaps helpful, hopefully helpful, to preface this uh, particular message this way, because in verse 1, he gives very clear, explicit commands. They're not at all confusing, and yet they're not at all easy uh, to adhere to, at least in the way he's calling us to. But he had told us in the previous passage, having, if you remember verses 22 through 25 from last week, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, he said, love one another sincerely, earnestly, and with a pure heart. And the continuation of that is, in, in this, these few verses, in order to love one another in this way, we need to cleanse our hearts from its unloving tendencies. I'm, I'm uh, summing it up that way. And it, that basically consists of that, that heart cleanse is detox and don't retox. Okay? Now that's a little bit, uh, you know, silly. Um, but I, I think it fits, and I've sort of structured the message that way. I think those first couple of verses are structured that way. And so I just want to touch each of those briefly to see what it is that we're told to do. One is the detox. He says in verse 1, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Other translations, in fact, it's possible the one that you're looking at says, rid yourselves of, not just put away, rid yourselves of, or get rid of all malice. You notice Peter uses this word all a lot. It's a little annoying, isn't it, sometimes? Put away all malice, all deceit. All hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Malice being ill will or like a desire to, to injure or see injury come to somebody. Deceit being exactly what it sounds like. Trickery. Hypocrisy. Acting like you're something you're not. Specifically, acting like you um, love somebody like you don't really. You may remember last week, in fact, the, the word sincere, when it referred to brotherly love, is literally without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And so here he says, so put away all hypocrisy. Envy. Jealousy, wanting, essentially wanting something worse to happen to somebody or wanting much better to happen for you so that you come out on top instead of them. That's part of what's underlying that jealousy. But you don't want to see, you resent somebody else's blessing, success, God's favor upon them or whatever the case may be. And then slander, defaming, speaking evil of someone. These heart conditions undermine brotherly love. I'll pause a minute and just consider, does that not seem 
kind of almost obvious and intuitive that they would. You know if you've got malice and envy in your heart. You know if you're inclined to slander somebody else. You, you can't love that person sincerely, earnestly, and certainly not with a pure heart, right? It just stands to reason. That, that's why I'm saying this, this is really quite clear. It doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. We just need a whole lot of help with it. Those heart conditions undermine brotherly love, and so you need to get rid of them. You need to get rid of all of it. It's like the sailboat in the yard. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it looks like, yes, you're right. It's not going to fit in the garage. <laughs> you're going to have to get rid of it. I mean, you might get rid of it and take it to storage off-site. You might have to sell it. But you're going to have to get rid of it all the way. Likewise, with all of these heart conditions, get rid of it. And so, what we then have to ask ourselves as sort of the diagnostic is, who do we have ill will toward? Who is it who is it that when you encounter them, and it might be a person, a group of people, you know, whatever. You know you. And if you'll be honest with you, God will help you. But who do you have ill will toward? Who, who like, makes you growl a little bit? You know, think about my, my dog growls when, like, any, you know, anybody walks by the house or other big dogs that would absolutely eat him alive because he's tiny. But he, you know, he just, he's just a little rumble in the throat, you know. Who does that to you? There are certain people probably, when you think about them, when you encounter them, it just a little bit of rumble in the throat. Maybe the hair on the back of your neck stands up, so to speak. That, that In other words, that will identify, locate... In your heart, malice, envy, uh, maybe slander is the result of that, hypocrisy in the way you interact with them, and so on. Who are you jealous of? Their success or marriage, family or health? Who do you speak critically of? Judge criticize, condemn, who just sort of always gets your goat, you know? Well, again, that's a, that's a really helpful, that there, is, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I insert that to remind all of us this truth and the diagnostic process here is not to condemn us for our sins, it is to help us identify what still remains so that we can get rid of all of it. So what's the remedy? Having, having identified some of that, you think about who are the, the, who's the person or the people that stir that up in me, that cause me to speak evil of somebody and backbite and all, all those things. What's the remedy? It's not just saying, you know what, I'm going to buckle down and stop being malicious. Never works. Never works. Uh, because when we identify what's really at root of that, we probably need, almost certainly need to do one of, if not all of, 
a few things here. One is forgive. There's somebody, chances are, uh, if, you've, if you're slandering or malicious, you probably have past offenses. Or I shouldn't, maybe it's not, maybe probably is a little bit of an overstatement. There's a good chance. Somebody who's really hurt you badly in the past, wronged you, really wronged you, has, has left their mark. And you've got feelings or intentions or words of ill will growing out of that, and you need to forgive them. That doesn't mean you have to go to them and say, you know what, all these years I've thought you're a jerk, and I just want you to know I forgive you. I mean, that, it, that's not necessary, I'll tell you. Like, so you need to know you don't have to do that. Um, sometimes it is necessary to go to the, the individual you know, and make wrongs right, but it's... Uh, that's not necessarily, it might not be particularly helpful. Um, that would be better than continuing to hold on to it, though. Uh, but it, it really is an issue. The forgiveness is an issue of your own heart uh, that, that, that you need to work that out with God. Again, this, any of these could be another mini-message on their own, um, but I'll move on. So part of the remedy is forgive. Uh, another is Bless, bless people and pray for them. You know, Jesus said that in Luke 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now see, that sounds so radical that you might think he's exaggerating. He's not exaggerating. Because what Jesus knows is you're the one harmed if you don't. I mean, that the people who persecute you and abuse you, who spitefully treat you, um, leave a deposit, a, a, a root of malice and uh, envy and slander and hatred and anger, bitterness, and all kinds of things that grow out of that. And you're hurt long-term by holding on to it uh, beyond whatever the wrong is they've done to you. So bless and pray for them. So when you think about, uh, rather than being, maybe identifying somebody that you're jealous of, you look at their marriage, you look at their family, you look at their career, whatever it is, their health, and, and, and you find yourself to be jealous. Even you don't even want to be that way, but that's just what you discover. Rejoice with them. Rejoice with them. Celebrate their successes. Even just in your own prayer life to God, but it might be you have an opportunity to say to them, I heard about that promotion. Congratulations. God bless you. However that might go. Bless them and pray for their welfare. Third, Confess. Confess your own sin. I can really maybe sound like a broken record on this subject, but um, it is so necessary, and again, not for the sake of groveling before God or reminding ourselves of how bad we are or anything like that. Uh, it, James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It is good for you 
to acknowledge sin, be honest about the sin of your own heart. It is almost a guarantee that somebody who slanders, somebody who speaks evil of another person, is unduly preoccupied with the sins of other people. And somebody who is unduly occupied, preoccupied with the sins of others is not sufficiently occupied with their own. Somebody who is always aware of other people's sins and talking about them to other people is not aware enough or honest enough of their own sin. You can just about guarantee it. And so I'm, what I'm saying is, you don't, you don't have to identify other people about whom that's true. Is it true of you that you find yourself speaking? There's somebody in particular that makes you growl and then makes you talk, you know, and say unsavory things about them. Uh, you need to confess your own sin. Because part of what that process will do is it just reminds you of how much you live in need of the grace of God. And that other people do too. If, you, if you're reminded through confession of your own sins, of God's grace toward you, His abiding, unfailing, ceaseless grace toward you, it'll make you more gracious toward other people. And you won't put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander without confessing your own sin, without forgiving people who need to be forgiven, without blessing and, and praying for people as well. So that's the detox. That's the detox. Put it away. Get rid of it. And then the second is don't retox. Okay, detox, don't retox. Verse 2 um, says there, like newborn infants, long for the sp pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Um, Again, there's a lot really that could be said trying to parse that out and take that apart. The, the, I'm going to try to uh, kind of be brief on that, but the ESV and, and NIV both translate this spiritual milk. Some other trans, English translations say the pure milk of the word. There are reasons why translators made those decisions that sound, they, they sound very, very different from each other. Uh, I would say... I think that the milk of the word is a better translation. It doesn't uh, really matter um, all that much. But when we think about what he said in the prior verses about you've been you're, you're purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Um, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. This word is the gospel. So he's talked about purity and the word repeatedly there in that passage and now says long for the pure milk of the word. I believe that's probably uh, the, the right implication that Peter makes there. But really, the more important word is pure. Long for pure milk that leads to your growth. Um, having purified your souls, don't expose them to more impurity. The, the, the things that feed and nourish your soul, the things that form what you think, how you think, what you love, how you feel, let, th let that be pure, unspoiled food. 
And so, um, again, there's, there's lots uh, else that could be said uh, even to understand that. But in applying that, we might say, just in general, to feed your soul on the things of the Lord, having detoxed, having put away, identified and put away uh, some of those toxins, then feed your soul with pure things. Read the Bible regularly and obey it. Commune with God and enjoy Him. We heard Psalm 34 earlier, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commune with Him. Uh, feed your soul on just uh, being in His presence. Enjoy Him. And closely guard what goes in. Uh, guard the intake, your intake of ideas, of information, and so on from other sources. Because I'm certainly not suggesting that the Bible is the only thing that you need to read. Uh, nor even in, in terms of just the things of God. That there can be, uh, uh, you know, blogs and devotions and sermons and all kinds of other inputs that, that give you truth and life and so forth. But you do need to guard everything else that goes into and shapes the, the, the things that you love. You'll, you'll notice are the things that make you feel unloving. That's really at root of this whole thing, right? Is, is cleansing unloving hearts. And you know, I don't even have to name them, you know of all kinds of things that you might read, listen to, and meditate upon daily and weekly. And they are not good for your soul, and you know it. You, you know it. I mean, when it, when it does something inside of you, when you just meditate upon bad news, for example, and it makes you angry. I, and I've, I've spoken to this before, but I mean, that's a good, everybody has different tolerance levels, right, for different, for different things like that. But, but if you find it's making you angry and anxious and feeling spiteful toward people and making you then uh, say things or fire off emails just cursing people effectively, it's just saying you're, you are retoxing. You're retoxing. Just replacing uh, the, all of that bitterness and malice that you've rooted out and, and putting it back in by the things that you read and listen to and meditate upon. There's a whole world these days of those kind of inputs, and the point is simply we need to guard them carefully. Feed your soul with pure spiritual milk, milk of the Word, that contribute to your growth, that we might cleanse our unloving hearts and um, love one another with a brotherly love that really is sincere and earnest and pure-hearted, a, a love that really testifies to the world that we are His disciples indeed. Well, that's not nearly as uh, brief as I hoped it might be, but that is the end. And so uh, let's finish right there and pray, and we'll go to the Lord's table together. 
Lord, you know there's so much more really we need to hear from you in this message, in this passage. Because these words just, they, they point us out that there are ways in which we have in our hearts some measure of one or more than one of these qualities. So Lord, would you just by your spirit help us to see what you want us to see, to forgive who we need to forgive, to bless who we need to bless, pray for those we need to pray for. And Lord, routinely to confess our sins before you, to be reminded daily of how gracious you have been and how gracious you remain toward us, that we might be unoffended and that we might be gracious in our dealings with others. Lord, we know that that requires a work of your spirit. We ask that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.